Revelation chapter 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be to them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers with will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then he says in verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will all the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. May we pray together again. Father in heaven, you are marvelous. You are wonderful. And our song will forever be that you are glorious and that you are marvelous and that you are wonderful. And as we walk into that city through the gate which is Christ, which has no temple, which has no need of a sun or a moon, which has no nightness, which has no death, which has no sorrow, as we enter that place where there will be forevermore praise and worship offered unto You, the Lamb, which was slain before the foundation of the world. And as we enter in as those collected as a bride for a groom, and as we enter in as the new Jerusalem that is coming down from heaven, Oh, Jesus, we will forever say, face to face with You, You are marvelous and You are wonderful. But God, for those in this gathering who are lost, that are detestable to Your sight, 
May they know their fate is sealed. May they know that unless they call on you, the one who gives from the spring of life without price, unless they call on you, unless they drink you, unless they eat your flesh, unless they know you, they will burn in hell with Satan and all of his demons for all of eternity. They will not enter that kingdom which is coming. Lord, we ask that you would consummate your kingdom today even. We know that you brought it to us in your first coming and we look for the consummation in your second coming. We love you. We glorify you. We ask that you would be high and lifted up in your preach, the preaching of your word. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen. False teachers are impure. Titus chapter 1 verses 15 through 16. And it reads, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are, there's that word again that I just read in Revelation 21. They are detestable. Disobedient, unfit for any good work. If not programs, then what? In a world where entertainment, large crowds, soft preaching, and loose living, where that is the the daily diet of the church, Grace Fellowship must return to a biblical principle of church practice. Rather than pour our time and energy into building trendy programs for children and youth and college age and young marrieds and singles and senior citizens, we must turn our focus on right doctrine, on godly leadership, and on defending the faith from the wolves which have crept in to attack the church from within. Paul warned that the elders of the church of Ephesus must be on guard for these wolves. Listen to his words in Acts chapter 20. Verses 28 through 30, he says, Pay careful attention to to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. What are we watching for, Paul? We're watching so that we may care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. What else are we watching for, Paul? Are we just supposed to take care of those who believe? Listen to this. I know. That after my departure, fierce, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The most destructive attacks on the church have not come from without the church, from outside the church, but from within the church. As wicked men have taught false doctrines, and those things have been accepted as truth. Heresy comes from within the church, and it's taught by men who are sensual and greedy and oftentimes focused on their, the external habits of their own life and the lives of others, rather than on the internal condition of the heart. And I described them to you last week in Titus 1 verses 10 through 14. I go so far as to say that false teachers are always characterized by 
an overindulgence in sensual desires, greediness, power. This is the triumvirate which drives false doctrine. You show me a cult, and I at the core will show you a group of men who desire power, who desire sexual pleasure, who desire money. It's without exception throughout the church. Even some of the most holy, seeming holy cults, when you get to the interior, are filled with this stuff. It's the motivation of church leadership, unfortunately, in our day, in many cases. And not just in our day, but in all of church history, really. If we look back at the Arian controversy, which rose almost immediately after the death of the apostles, the teaching of Christ, as the unique Son of God fell under attack, and the Arian controversy arose... A heresy from within, a bishop from within taught this. Pelagianism, the teaching which says that essentially men are good and able to be saved and worthy of salvation. Christ simply helps those who want to be saved. That heresy didn't come from outside. It came from within the church. A bishop taught that in the church. Catholicism in its most rudimentary forms in the Middle Ages where grace was extended by the sacraments of the church and not by belief in Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, for the glory of God alone. This rose from within the church. Man is saved, they say, by faith plus practice of righteousness. That didn't come from those who are unbelieving. That came from those who were teaching as if they were believers. Syncretism in our day. All these isms. Syncretism in our day. You say, what is that? Well, it's not so much organized like a church or a branch of the church. It's rather being brought into all churches in some ways. You know, you hear in missionary talks often when they say, well, we just want to go and we want to grab hold of those things in their culture they already practice and just bring Christ into it. There's a movement in the Muslim nation to Christianize the mosque. To Christianize the mosque. We don't want to go and convert Muslims. We'd rather help them understand how Christ is a part of their worship as Muslims. We don't want to see people in America turn away from their lifestyles and away from their worldly desires, but we just want to add Jesus to that. We just want to put Him on top as a layer of clothing to cover up all that wickedness. Syncretism. Bringing a culture's... uh, pre-established religion alongside Christ as if that will save. You don't have to reject animism in the, in, the, in, the, in the jungles of Africa. You don't have to reject Muslim faith. You don't have to walk away from Hinduism. You can simply bring Jesus into that and you'll be okay. That didn't start outside the church. That started inside the church by our own missionaries and by our own teachers. These are just a few of the many lies that have been portrayed by men of the church as true gospel. Paul warns in Titus chapter 1, verses 10-16 through 16, that false teachers have crept into the church after describing their character, talking about uh, the destructive outcome of their teaching, and the, the uh, command to, that they must be silenced with godly reproof. Paul ends this section by pointing to Purity, which is always uh, present in the life of believers 
and is always not present in the life of unbelievers. Today we'll focus on verses 15 through 16 in Titus chapter 1. If a man is a false teacher, his life is totally impure. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are impure, whatever they do is defiled. And whatever they do is an act of unbelieving. We want to talk about this. Purity, first of all, is a condition of the heart. Purity is a condition of the heart. Purity is not earned. Isn't that a relief to you? That's a relief to me. That's a relief to me. I mean, in the age where we're being told over and over again that we must somehow earn our purity, our righteousness, isn't it a relief to hear that to the pure, all things are pure? You're not earning righteousness with God. You possess it if you were in Christ. Purity is not based on then my actions. Good works do not make me a pure man. Devotion to the Lord does not guarantee purity. And I say devotion to the Lord in a sense that just coming to church, reading your Bible, praying, doing the religious things of Christianity do not guarantee your life to be pure. Purity is a condition rather not that is earned, but it's granted by God through Christ. And for some reason the PowerPoint's not working. But if you'll turn to 1 Peter, I had this passage there so you wouldn't have to turn, but turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's a long text. I'm afraid you might not follow if you simply hear me reading it. So look at this text, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. It's a gift, purity is, granted by God, not earned. Peter says, Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but all who are called, who, who called you, but as the one who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now that's sometimes read as a command to do better, to live right. To earn righteousness. That's not what Peter means at all. That's taking this totally out of context. You see, everything that leads up to this section is about Christ's sovereign grace in our life. And he says, so therefore, make your mind sober. Focus on Christ is his, is his implication. And it's written, just as it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now look what he says. You would expect here a command to do something, right? Listen. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. What a beautiful Relief, Peter, that you're not telling me I've got to act better or earn my righteousness, but rather that was purchased for me as I was ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ, not with silver or gold. Holiness was purchased for us. It is a standing with which we have in front of God. It's a position that we currently possess as believers in Jesus Christ. It's not something that's earned. 
As a matter of fact, if you try to earn it, you lose it, Paul says. That which is according to the law works against your salvation, not for your salvation. This is a relief in the middle of an age where many are focusing on earning righteousness. Purity, the subject of verse 15, is not earned. It is a condition that's granted to believers through Christ in your internal man, in your heart. Secondly, purity is impossible for anyone who's outside of Christ. Now, I don't want to assume this is kind of sinking in with you, so I want to make the point here quickly. If purity could be earned, even a lost man could become pure. If purity was based on your actions, you could clean your actions up and be acceptable to God. A lost man could do it if it was a rule book that God gave us. But it wasn't a rule book, was it? Not even in the Old Testament was it a rule book. The law was never intended to be obeyed as if it would save you. The law was to show you you are lost. You are hopeless. You can't do this. But I can, God said. And so you say, well, so you're about to free people up to live however they want to. Well, that's what they said about Paul, too. So I say, I'm in good company. And Paul's answer and my answer is no. Anyone who has been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ now desires to obey out of love and respect and honor to Him. You can't force obedience. It must be the desire of the heart. A short earthly example is your children. Be heavy-handed with your children. Force them to follow the rule book. And when they're 18, they will walk away from you and the rule book and go their own way. But live a life that is passionate for Jesus Christ and beg and plead them to trust Him for salvation and let the conduct of your life be a living example before them daily. And when they're 18, they'll continue to live out of obedience to Christ, not out of duty but love. Jesus didn't say, obey my commands so that you will love me. He said, because you love me, you will obey my commands. I found it true with Hannah Grace and Noah both. Their disobedience often is a reflection of my lack of connection to them. When they become very unruly, my instinct is to punish them. But my heart, because of the gospel, says, You've not done well, Father. Something's amiss in your relationship. They're not bucking the system. They're bucking your heavy-handedness. Love them. Exemplify righteousness to them. And call them to obedience. If I was a perfect father, that wouldn't have to happen often. But it does happen often in my house that I overstep the relationship I have with my, with my children. And what God is saying in First Peter is I have a relationship with you, therefore you will be holy as I am holy. Because I'm holy and you have a relationship with me, you will be holy. Not 
Act holy so I'll have you. Obey a little better and I'll claim you. Earn some more righteousness and I'll accept you. No. You're mine. I bought you with the precious blood of my own son. That's more precious than silver and gold. You'll be holy because I'm holy. When I see lack of holiness in my life and in your lives and in the world's life, it doesn't speak to me of a need for rules. It speaks to me of a need for passion about Jesus Christ. It speaks to me of a need to be connected to Him. The vine. To the pure, all things are pure. Watch out, Paul. They're going to go be a bunch of drunks, sexually immoral people. No, they won't. That means they weren't pure. But because they've been purified by the blood of Christ, their actions will be pure. Whether they eat or they drink, whether they sleep or they wake, whatever they do, it's for the glory of God. You see, so often we've tried to, like the false teachers, enforce some rules on people. Become legalists. Seeing the law as a heavy-handed way to salvation. And when it really is a schoolmaster that shows us we're inadequate and we need Christ who is pure. So we will be pure as He is pure. Purity is impossible for anyone outside of Jesus Christ. If you are unbelieving and you're in this me- hearing this message today, you are impure. And there's not anything that you can work on to make yourself pure. You're impure. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 41, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. Now you've got to understand Jesus here. Jesus knew what that Pharisee expected him to do at the door. You know how your mom or your grandmom used to make you take your shoes off when you came in the house because you might soil the carpet? Maybe you do that. Maybe you're one of those weird people that does that. I don't. If you come to my house, you can wear your shoes. The water bowl was at the door. The Pharisee knew that Jesus should have stopped and washed his hands. And you know what Jesus knew? He knew the man expected him to do it as a sign of cleanliness and purity. And Jesus didn't bow the knee to man's tradition. Jesus marched past the washing bowl, sat down at the table, and said, let's eat. You see, if you live a pure life, it'll offend. Jesus' purity offended the religious people of his society. The lost people didn't hate him because he didn't wash his hands. The Pharisees hated him and ridiculed him. See, we say, well, you know, it's our tradition. That's how people, you know, people are going to get offended if we don't do that. Offend them. By all means, offend them. And when they question, you say, We don't follow the traditions of men. We follow the Lord. Stop being a rule follower, a law abider, and know Christ who has purchased you with His own blood. The Pharisee 
was astonished <gasps> to see that he did not first wash before dinner. He might have touched a Gentile. He may have touched food offered to idols. He's going to be defiled. Now, this is the Son of God sitting at this man's table. He's worried about him being defiled by some eating a piece of chicken. Come on. But we're just that silly, aren't we? That's our life. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisee, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dinner dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. That's the hardest statement he could have made to them. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus said, stop worrying about the external obedience which you heavy-handedly want to require as a means to salvation and start worrying about the inside of the dish that is dirty and wicked and filled with unrighteousness. When that's clean, the outside will be clean also. We spend our whole lives building these fences for our kids not to cross, our children not to go through, when we ought to be worried about their relationship with Christ. And once they have that relationship, the outside cleans itself up. It's a foregone conclusion. And Hannah Grace is disrespectful to me or her mother. I have learned to say this. Honey, your heart is not good. Not sit down and be quiet. Not toe the line. Not obey because I'm your daddy and I say so. But honey, your heart's not in the right place. Something wicked's coming out. Where's it coming from? She's learned to reply when she gets in trouble. It's my heart, Daddy. When it's time for a spanking, that's what she says. Daddy, it's my heart. It's my heart. I don't know what's wrong. But that's biblical language, isn't it? Not, you violated my rules, but... Your heart's showing its wickedness. What's wrong? You're not pure. So therefore, everything you do is impure. Jesus talked to this Pharisee in those same terms. Purity begins in the mind and the heart. Not on the externals. Not I'm going to clean my act up and come to Jesus. Jesus will clean your act up. Jesus will. False teachers and unbelievers are impure in their thinking. Paul said in Romans 12, 2, finally, uh, 1 and 2, Finally, brothers, whatever is... Or, excuse me. Verse 2. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's actually Philippians 4, 8. Romans 12, 2, just so I can read it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
Do you see that throughout his letters to the church, Paul focused on the mind? What are you thinking about? If you want to know, am I pure? What is your mind focused on? That's an internal thing, not an external thing. It's not about the channel you stopped on which had softcore pornography on it last night. That's not the problem. The problem is, what is your mind focused on? What are you thinking about? The problem's not that you were tempted and you stole from your boss what was his and not yours. The problem is your lust and greed that's internal, not external. The problem's not that you cussed your wife out or your husband out on the way to church this morning. That's not the problem. Somebody said, yeah, it is. <laughs> had been my wife, it had been a problem. Had been my husband, it had been a problem. That's not the problem, is it? The problem is that's simply a reflection of your mind and your heart. To the pure, all things are pure, Paul would say. So if what you're doing is not pure, it's an indication of your heart, which is not Christ's, possibly. Therefore, we need to deal with that issue, not the externals. You say, why don't y'all impose... Tell us the black and white, Carlton. Let's get black and white. What can I do and what can I not do? It's just not that simple. When I do that for you, I am a false teacher at some level. A false teacher. It's not about blacks and whites. It's not what it's about. The Bible's filled with gray. And the statement about that gray is, if you're pure, you will act pure in those areas. Not act pure so that you can earn it, but you're redeemed by the blood of Christ, therefore you'll know how to react in that situation. We read this thing like it's some kind of textbook physics equation. This is a living, breathing, active word which is imposing itself on you through relationship, calling you to be holy as God is holy. And then telling you, you can't do it. But I did. That's Jesus' statement to us. False teachers are unbelievers and unbelievers are impure in their thinking. False teachers and unbelievers are impure in their core, in their core being, or their heart, as the Bible. You know, that's a lesson we had to learn, right? When the Bible's talking about heart, we got to know is it talking about that muscle that's pumping blood, or is it talking about who we are, the center, the seat of who we are? A lot of times it's the center and seat of who we are, not the heart. The Holy Spirit doesn't come live inside that muscle when you accept Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in the seat of who you are. He sits on the throne. So the false teacher and unbeliever is impure in their very core conduct, their heart. Matthew 15, 18 through 19, Jesus said, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the center of the being, the heart and defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil, thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. Some of you are saying to me right now in your minds, I know what you're saying. I hear you're saying it's internal, but if that lady at work would just dress more appropriately, I wouldn't lust after her. If 
the world wasn't so evil that it filled our television channels with mire and muck, I wouldn't be tempted. If sexually explicit material wasn't a click of the finger away, I wouldn't be tempted. If my wife would treat me better, I wouldn't be angry. If my husband would love me more, I'd respect him. And to all of those, I would simply say, if you've been purified by the blood of Christ, you will react purely in those situations. It's when I don't live in the purity Christ has granted to me that I fail and I act impurely. It's when I fail. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been fighting a battle on the outside, the externals, and you win as long as there's no temptation, but as soon as there's temptation, you fall. And you say, what's wrong with me? It's inside. You can set up all the rules and laws you want to set up. You will break them when the opportunity comes and you think you can get away with it. It's internal. That's where the problem is. And so false teachers focus on the external while all the time being impure on the inside and falling against their own rules. And Paul says that's not the case. Shouldn't be the case with true believers because they're purified by Christ. They're not focused so much on the external, but the internal. Purity is not connected with what we eat, drink, or who we associate with. And I want to make this clear, abundantly clear. We read that passage in Mark 7, 1 through 23 at the beginning of the service for a reason. Did you catch it when I was reading it? What were the Pharisees focused on in that passage? How Jesus washed himself up again, right? How he cleansed himself. I mean, our followers, when we sit down and eat, we wash our hands. If we've been in the market and may have brushed the shoulder of a Gentile, we take a bath. We would not dare eat something that's defiled than offered to an idol. No way. We're better than that. And Jesus says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right. You worship me with your lips, the externals, but your heart is far away from me. Because you know how I know that? You follow the traditions of your men, your teachers, not God. You violate God's command to obey your teachers. I have had men tell me, I know what the Bible says, but that ain't how we do it. That's exactly what I'm saying. The traditions of men have replaced the commands of God. And Jesus declared all things clean, didn't He? He declared all things clean, and yet some of us would still put up rules and regulations about eating and drinking. Galatians 2. Turn with me to Galatians 2. As we're preparing to close, I want to go over a few things with you here about the internal. I've talked about the heart. What is the heart? How is the heart affected? Galatians 2, verse 19. 
he says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul says, I'm I'm a Jew and I don't live according to the law. I live according to Christ. I've died to everything else. That's a sign of purity on the internal. In the internal man is dying to self, dying to desires, dying to dreams, dying to traditions, dying to legalistic rules. I've died to those things and I live to Christ every day. You say, I'm scared I'll get off track. Not if you follow Christ. It's just got to be a little hard. I mean, we gotta we got to hem it in a little bit. You're giving us too much freedom. No, I'm talking about liberty. And liberty comes with one who sets the bounds. And the bound is Christ. To the pure, all things are pure. So how does it impact my daily life? You've got to understand, it's not about what I eat what I drink, who I sit near, what neighborhood I live in, or any of those things. It's about Christ. So when I'm trying to make a personal decision in the area of finances or practice, those things are made according to Christ and His Word. 1 Timothy 4, Paul says to Timothy, his son in the ministry. Verses 4 through 5. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. One sign of purity is thanksgiving. It's not unclean, but one way you know if you're unclean is if you're not thankful. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Paul would tell the Judaizers, if you would get over your man-made traditions, you could go to the market, get the discount meat that was offered to idols, thank God for it, and eat it. And it would not make you unclean. But because you're caught up on your rules and regulations, you can't do it. That's impure now. You've made it that way. Not God. You have. If you are impure, your works are worthless to God. That's what verse 16 says. When you're focused on the inside, and and if the inside is, is detestable, then everything you do is unfit for God. False teachers or unbelievers can be identified by their fruit. Jesus says in Matthew 7, you will know them by their fruit. Galatians 5, 19 through 24 says these are the fruits of the flesh. These are the fruits of the Spirit. We know them by their fruit. The Greek word for deny here, but they deny him, is the same word used for Peter's denial of Jesus Christ at his crucifixion. False teachers deny Jesus by their own actions. They reject him. Unbelievers reject him by their actions. False teachers are worthless. The bottom line is, Paul says, you are worthless. 
You need to be silenced and you're worthless. Everything you do is worthless. It's detestable. That word detestable means an abomination. It's an abomination to God. A life of a, of a false teacher is an abomination. Disobedient. Your life is disobedient. It's like Paul uses the word that Paul uses to describe men who are under the power of Satan in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Your life is worthless, Paul says. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. That word disqualified means worthless. It's worthless. False teachers are disqualified from serving the Lord because of their unfit character, unsound teaching, and unbelieving hearts. In the end, no matter what they do, they're impure. So, how is it with you? As I've taught this about false teachers these last two weeks, it would have been easy for you to say, well, that's not me. I'm not a teacher. It would have been, might have been easy for you to say, well, I'm not as bad as the other guy. But no, I'm asking you, according to this scripture, are you defiled? And what's the test? Is it whether you're sitting in this congregation, whether you read your Bible last week or prayed, did a good work, helped an old lady across the street, gave some money to missions? Is that the test? No, those things are external. All well and good. But that's not how we know whether we're defiled or not. How do I know if I'm defiled? The only way to know is, have you been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ? And are you in a relationship with Him? If you're not in a relationship with Him, I don't care how good your life looks. It is detestable in the sight of God. It is an abomination. It is defiled. You deny Christ by your very existence on this earth. And the wrath of God has fallen on you. In Matthew 7, we get the picture. Jesus said, A good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And in that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We work many miracles in your name. And Jesus will say, What? You're detestable to me, basically. That's, isn't that what he says? You're defiled. Even the things you thought were good were bad. Why? Because you did not know me. I did not know you. I had no relationship with you. I'm not going to teach you to clean the outside up. I want you to hear me saying, know Christ. On the inside, know Christ. Have a relationship with Him. And He will purify you by His blood. And your life will change. There was one other ism I didn't include at the beginning. I want to include here. I saved it for the end. Because, see, I don't know that we're falling trapped to Arianism or Pelagianism or syncretism or any of these other isms. But one thing many in this congregation fall prey to is another ism called legalism. And I just want to say to you, you think you're approving yourself before God and He will love you more. And what I'm saying to you 
is you are defiled and detestable. You're not acceptable. You're unacceptable. And those people you look down your nose at who live a wild lifestyle, a no-life lifestyle, you are that guy. There's no difference between you and the drunk. That's what Paul said. Not what I said. That's what Jesus said. There's no difference between you and the adulterer. Of all the isms you can fall prey to, legalism is the one you will. And it only happens when you sever God's commands from a personal relationship with him. Know Christ. He will purify you. And you will obey. 